The Old Testament reading of today is the wonderful Psalm 62 in your Bible on pages 526 and 27. For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, and twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. For you repay to all according to their work. This is the word of the Lord. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 3 John. It's all the way at the back. If you hit Revelation, you went a little far. It's on page 243 of your New Testament. As Jeff said in the children's sermon, we're going to talk about this idea of anchoring ourselves. Uh, this morning, you know, we talked about Second John last week and, and how we agree on what truth is, how we agree on this message of Jesus Christ and where that comes from. And so this morning, we're going to look at the th third letter of John, and we're going to talk about this idea, as you can see in your bulletin, what it means to be steadfast, what it means to be anchored, what it means in the midst of opposition to keep going, especially when there is opposition. Many of us know in this life there is indeed and will be opposition. And this, in my experience, is one of the hardest things to sort of wrap our brains around. You know, last week we talked about the importance of abiding in Christ as Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And so this week we talk about how we continually do so when things get difficult. Uh, as was last week, just some background, this is a similar letter to a similar time written right around the end of the first century to the people in, in, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, so please read along with me, if you will, the third letter of John, starting in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, 
whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be well in good health, just as it is well with your soul. I was overjoyed when some of the friends arrived and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, namely how you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the friends, even though they are strangers to you. They have testified to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on in a manner worthy of God. For they began their journey for the sake of Christ, accepting no support from non-believers. Therefore, we ought to support such people, so that we may become co-workers with the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing in spreading false charges against us. And not content with those charges, he refuses to welcome the friends and even prevents those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does what is good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Everyone has testified favorably about Demetrius, and so he has the truth itself. We also testify for him, and, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. Instead, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk together face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you their greetings. Greet the friends there each by name. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have a letter here written to someone named Gaius. And, and we don't really know who this person is. This is actually the only time we see his name mentioned uh, in New Testament texts. But we learn a little bit about him from this short letter. We can assume that he was a fellow teacher or leader in the church and that he had uh, a ministry in which we'll see it was involved in hospitality and caring for people. And we know that he was close enough with the Apostle John to where John took the time to write him this letter to deal with this problem that we're going to talk about. And that he had an active ministry in the area. And so, after John greets him, he, he writes this and he says, Hey, I hope that good things happen. I hope that things go well, that you are in good health. I hope that everything's going well, just as we would with a normal letter. But then he says something that, he uses some language we don't always use, doesn't he? He says this line, he says, I hope that all things go well with you just as it goes or just as well with your soul. There's so many small details I love in scripture. And these little half verses or these little phrases that we sometimes miss or rush past can be filled with such amazing truth. He says, I hope that everything is well physically. Health, everything's going fine, but, but, but I also hope that it is well with your soul. Would that we, as believers, take as much care of our souls as we do of our bodies and our health. We're really good at, at talking to people about the physical circumstances at life, aren't we? Talk about jobs, talk about family. The, the best example is if you think of a party or even maybe coffee hour after church today. What do you talk to people about? And job, family, house, where'd you go on vacation? And I talked to our sound person today. He, he looks all nice and tan, and, and it's just so great, you know? And to be fair, there's nothing wrong with that. This is what John leads with. He says, I hope everything's going well, guy. I hope things are great. But he also says, I hope that it's also well with your soul. Think about your soul. 
When was the last time you went on a diet for your soul and tried to limit the amount of junk that went into it? Limit the intake of that which is negative or affects your soul? When was the last time you went to a doctor for your soul? You know, German is a wonderfully awful language to learn because they have so many of these words where they just sort of mash two words together. And, and some of them are really long and kind of funny, etc. And, and as, as someone learning German, I learn generally phrases that aren't very helpful or that I can't repeat in church. But German has some really fun words. And one of the words I learned early on is, is I remember being in German class and everyone goes around and says what they do. You know, a banker and a businessman and a waiter and this and a teacher. And she gets to me and I say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And, and, and she says, okay. And she's trying to teach people the word. And she's trying to think of how to say that. And she says, well, are you a priest? Because you don't look like a priest. I said, no, 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 I'm not a priest. And she's, she's trying to figure out what I do. And I say, well, I work at a free church and I do these different things. And she says, oh, we have a great word for that in German. I say, what? What is it? What do I do? How do I label myself? And she says this name, and she says, you are a seal disorder. And what does that mean, seal disorder? And she says, well, you care for souls. Seal disorder. And, and, and she said it kind of has a, a hippie mentality to it, right? It kind of has this weird thing that you, like, care for people's souls, and you meditate with them and light incense and all this other stuff. But when you break down the word, it's really kind of neat. The, the, the roots of the word are just basically caring for souls. And, and what's funny about this to me is that when we read through the New Testament, now I'm sure there's associations with the word and all these other things, but when we read through the New Testament, this is a lot of what the apostles and the disciples are talking about. That we as Christians need to care for our very souls. That we as Christians need to care for our very being. And John, in his letter to his friend, goes deeper than just mere circumstances and health. And hey, I hope your ministry is going fine. He says that I hope it goes well with your soul. And I ask you, when was the last time you asked or had a conversation about your soul? Just a brief note, it's probably not good to do this with other people other than your friends. <laughs> if you ask a, a, an acquaintance how their soul is doing, it might be a little awkward. But really, it's difficult for us. It's difficult for us to ask someone about their soul because it means we actually have to listen, right? If we ask someone about their vacation, we can just sort of sit there and smile and not really pay attention. Or, or if we ask someone about their job, we can just sort of log away one or two facts that we can recall later to show that we were listening. But when you ask someone about their soul, it costs something of you as the asker. You have to be vulnerable to really listen and enter into life with another human being. And as we know in, in Ephesians 4, it says that we as the church ought to bear with each other. That we used to bear each other's burdens. That we as the church bear the weight of the church on our shoulders together. And as we grow in relationship and look at, at how to grow and how to be better Christians and how to be anchored in the faith, Paul, or John, excuse me, mentions that we must care for the soul. This is just the second verse. I should move along. We'll come back to it. He goes on in verses 3 and 4, and he just encourages and says, listen, this is such a good thing. When we hear of what God is doing and people give testimony, there is no greater joy. When you share among what God has done in your life and God is doing in your life and you hear testimony, think of 
when we had our confirmation Sunday, and these young people stood up and just said what they believed, how joyful it was. I had multiple people coming to me saying, we need to have that online, we need to have that on the website, I want to hear it again. Because when we hear the testimony of the good things God is doing, the Apostle John says it brings him no greater joy. And that our lives as Christians, when we share about these things, when we live in relationship with one another, can bring great joy. And so last week as we talked about abiding in Christ, when we abide in Christ together, it brings wonderful times of testimony and sharing what God has done. As a pastor, I can tell you this means the world to me, just to hear the good things God is doing in your life. You know, my favorite example of this is in Mark 5, when the demon-possessed man living in the hills is, is, is healed. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to be his disciple, and Jesus tells him, no, stay home. Tell of the great things God did for you. Give testimony, for it brings no greater joy to the church. And he goes in in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 to talk about faithful service. Support for Christian workers, traveling teachers. This was Gaius' ministry. He would care for people who were traveling through, who were workers, who were missionaries, who were teaching the word of God throughout the, new wor- or the ancient world in the first century. And even though some of these people were strangers, even though some of these people they didn't know, he says that the way you care for them and the way you send them out is the way God would send them out. Keep going. He says, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. John celebrates this ministry of hospitality and caring. But as we see in verse 9 and 10, there will always be opposition when when there is good work. When you are doing a good work in this world, there will be someone who comes against you who tells you that you are not doing a good work who tries to stop you, who tries to say that you are wrong and that they are right. Those who oppose good and love and mercy, this is nothing new. As I mentioned last week in Acts 20, Paul said this when he left Ephesus. He actually had tears. He says, I write to you with tears because I know wolves will come in among the flock and try to separate you. And we find out in verse 9 exactly what this person was doing. And he says, he who likes this guy, he puts himself first. He's putting himself above this. Not, he's putting himself above what we talked about last week, the truth of Christ. He's saying what I say is most important. And therefore, we're not going to worry about these traveling teachers. We're not going to worry about caring for these people because I have the answers and I know what I'm doing. And, and I see this and the first thing I see and I think about is that personal ambition will always create disunity in the church. Even with a good heart, even a pastor, even a leader of a ministry, even a leader of a Bible study, if that person is seeking to lift themselves up, it will create disunity in the church. You know, if you read through this book as a whole, it's not a history book, right? There's huge gaps in history. It's, it's not a book just of poetry, though there is poetry. It's not just a book of miracles, though there is miracles. This is a story of God's love for his people. And if you read the New Testament specifically, the, the letters of the Apostle Paul, one of the themes that comes up over and over and over again is unity. Paul desires the church to be unified. If you go through all of the letters in the New Testament over and over, he's talking about these issues that, that he wants the church to come together on. When he talks about taking communion and and breaking bread together to the Corinthian church, he says, why are the rich meeting with the rich and the poor with the poor? No, you need to come together as a unified body in Christ. 
When he writes to the church in Galatians, he says, you are one body. You know, the eye can't say it's more important than the foot, and the foot, the eye, and all the, you know, you know the stories. Unity is a primary concern of the church. And this man, this leader who John is writing about has put himself first and has blocked the ability for others to give testimony and share what God is doing because he is clinging so tightly to his own selfish ambition. He may not have been an evil man, but all of us in this room know how easily pride can creep in and arrogance can creep in. And before we know it, we're clinging so tightly to the gift God gave us that we've strangled it. And he goes on in verse 11 to say that this good is from God, so hold fast, be steadfast like an anchor in the face of opposition. Because there is good and there is evil in this world. And despite what some people might want you to believe, despite what some people may try to downplay, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to know that there is abject evil at work in the world that wants to tear you down. And it is being propagated throughout the world by selfish ambition. Think of the modern world we live in and what selfishness and personal ambition has done. You know, on the grand scale, there's, in the last hundred years, think of the corruption that personal ambition has taken money, embezzled money, taken money from people and taken advantage of people. Maybe on a lighter level, think of the word selfie. Where you even made a word to create this whole understanding of what it means that wherever we are and whatever we're doing is so important that the world needs to know that I need to take a picture of myself doing something to share with the world how great and important I am. Now, I will say that selfies I do not believe are inherently evil. I believe yesterday my wife and I were on a walk in a beautiful part of the country and she stopped and said, let's take a picture. And so we did this. But think about how selfishness and personal ambition is growing in our society and in our culture. And here, 2,000 years ago, John is writing to the church and he is saying, listen, this guy is putting himself first. You must be aware of these sorts of people who are limiting the truth of Jesus Christ with their own pride and their own selfish ambition. Being a Christian is trusting That which is good and that which is truthful in life comes from God and so we study it and we proclaim it and we trust in it in the face of this opposition. And it is our very actions that will show what we believe to be true. We know that our words can be hollow and empty without action. And so we remain steadfast, not with just words and not with just sermons and not with worship songs, but we do it with our actions. We do not simply say that we believe all of these things and pray these songs on Sunday and then just go and act however we like during the week with pride and ambition. No, we must live in a way that is good. As John says, that that which is good has come from God and that is what we must imitate is the good and not the evil. And as modern Christians today, I just want to encourage you all that we must be very, very careful. We must be resolute. We must be anchored to the truth. Many of you know what it's like to be a Christian in a professional field and say to someone in the sciences or in the world of academia or even in the world of finance to say that you are a Christian and to have that look of sort of pity on their face. Say, oh, bless your heart. Oh, you still believe that? Oh, well, good for you. 
We must know what it will be like to be pitied in the process of living for God. We must know what it will be like to encounter opposition. Our desire for God and holiness will make you stick out. You know, I've said this before, I don't know if it was in the evening service or here, but you can only hide yourself for so long. Right? You can only hide who you are for so long. You can have non-Christian friends and secular colleagues, and that's fine. But as you get to know people and you get down to knowing someone's soul, your soul will shine that either you are different than them or you are not. And we know persecution will increase. You know, I, I have many stories about this. Uh, as a pastor, it's always interesting. You talk to someone and they say, well, what do you do? And you sort of think, well, I'm a teacher, well, I'm a pastor, what do I want to say? Because if you say pastor and they have a bad association with church, immediately there's going to be some issues. And For me, this is an interesting topic, but all of you have your own stories in the same way. And as we look around the world, just weeks ago we had someone here talking about the persecuted church. We know persecution is growing around the world, but here in the Western world specifically, our persecution is a little different. It's a little bit more subtle, but it's also growing. The opposition is growing. The more you stand for the truth of Christ, the more you will stick out. So how do we do this? How do we desire love and truth in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and not be conquered by the selfish ambition of this world? Because the difference is growing wider and wider, isn't it? These are opposite paths. How do we endure? I want to say this. I believe it goes back to what John first said about his soul. That all would go well with his soul. The soul, the psyche, the ego, whatever term you want to give it, whatever defines you is very important and it makes you who you are in a lot of ways. But the important thing that you must realize is that when we see the world and when we approach the world, we must do it from the inside out, as the popular praise song says, that we must do it from our soul and that our soul is, is driven by the truth of Jesus Christ and we see the world from the inside out. If we take the world from the outside and try to fit it in to, to what God is doing in our life, it's not going to work. The unbelieving world has abandoned the idea of the soul. The unbelieving world and the ungodly and, the, and those who have abandoned God have abandoned this idea of the soul. Modern thought has sort of said what? That we are just animals who got really lucky in evolution. That we're no different. We just got really fortunate. And the stars aligned and everything sort of worked out and now we have this greater consciousness. But, but it's still just evolution. We're still just animals looking to meet our basic needs. That's not true. If we were just animals seeking to search out our basic human needs of physical and food and whatever it is, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, the basic human needs, why are we so dissatisfied? If we were just animals and our soul didn't matter, then why are we so dissatisfied when we indulge in the flesh? Why does it feel like it's not enough? Why does money never bring happiness and joy? Because we have a soul. And our soul is so much more important than our physical needs. And if we believe like the unbelieving world that our soul no longer matters and we're just animals, then we might as well be like the animals. The world has tried to separate knowing God from who we are and it can't be done. We cannot separate ourselves and our very souls from how God has made us. 
There's a great psalm. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just talk about it. But if you want to write or make a note, it's Psalm 138, 138. Where the psalmist in verse 3 prays out, he says, I called out to the Lord and my strength of soul increased. One of, the, one of the translations, I think it's the ESV, I'm not exactly sure, but it says, maybe it's the New King James, it says, my boldness of soul increased. When we call out to God, God strengthens the inside of us so that it might flow out in all that we do. Your soul is made resolute and steadfast only in the wisdom and truth of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in Revelation, through the power of Christ dwelling in you, your soul is made strong and healthy. Not self-promotion as we read here, not selfish ambition, not relying on yourself or any trait you might possess, but that we as a body of Christ to be steadfast in all opposition is to remain anchored and to remain abiding in Christ in our very souls that we would care for our souls the same way we care for all the physical things. So we share with each other. We strengthen each other. We do not learn only by experience, but we take what we know to be true in Scripture and our experience, and we live together sharing testimony that we would be gracious and grateful. And in verse 11 and 12, we see it. He says, it's simple. Imitate that which is good. Don't imitate evil. What are you seeing in your life and what is your very soul dictating to you about God and his truth? If we look to see good and truth of Jesus Christ every day, that is how we will see the world. And if you're not, and if you're looking to see what you want to see or feel better or seek out the flesh or seek out what the, the, the world tells you is what you ought to seek, you are missing out. Start within yourself and ask God to make your soul more bold that you might stand for what you believe in. Because humanity, in all of their desires to disprove God, has shown unequivocally that we cannot be trusted with good. Look at the created order. All you have to do is go to a major world city, and, and, and I don't want to get into the whole recycling, you know, political or, you know, conservation thing, but if you've ever been to a major world city and seen a huge trash dump, it is very clear that humanity cannot be trusted with that which is good. And so what do we do? We ask God to show us what is good. We ask God to reveal to us what is good through each other, through sharing our very souls, through reading scripture, through worshiping together. As we read in Psalm 62, God is our refuge. When we have questions, we go to Him. When we have worries about how God has made us and if we're strong enough and if we're able, if we, can we really do this? Can we really stand in the midst of opposition? God says, yes. Do not neglect your very soul that I put inside of you for a very specific reason. Trust in the Lord. Beware of pride and selfishness as they creep into your soul and rob you of the joy of the Lord. For the Lord is faithful and he will grant you the desire of your heart. If you desire to be bold in soul and stand for what you believe in the midst of oppression, then do so. The Lord is faithful and he will grant that desire. Beware of selfish ambition. 
lest it limit what God is doing in the lives of you, your family, or the church. Let us pray that we might see more good and do more good in this world, that others would know the love Christ has for them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now pleading on behalf of our very souls. Hear the desire of our heart that we, were, we desire to be steadfast in truth. Lord, we desire to care for our very souls. Show us how. Give us a renewed passion for your word, for prayer, for relationship with the brothers and sisters in Christ that we would learn from each other, that we would share testimony of the great things you have done. Lord, you are good. Your mercies endure forever. You are our refuge. We seek shelter with you and only you. Care for us now, Lord, in our brokenness and in our joy. And lead us to the way everlasting. Amen.